Uh, well, if we've not met, my name is Matt. This is my wife, Pip, and uh, it's our absolute privilege to be preaching you today. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you get that out? This is from Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wonderful. Well, um, 25 years ago, uh, on June the 6th, uh, Pip and I got married, and we've got a lovely photo of us. Oh, that's a lovely reaction. Look at us. <laughs> uh, I think there's sympathy, and there's also <laughs> mocking in the room. So uh, the wedding was quite an event. Uh, we had no money. Uh, it was a very sort of cheap and cheerful uh, Pip at the time was working in a homeless night shelter, and so she would look after 30 homeless guys every night, and we invited all those guys to the wedding as well. And the hilarious part of that is we had a bag lady called Shirley who uh, was a friend of Pip's who was quite a character. She carried her belongings sort of everywhere with her, and she came to the wedding and sat herself right at the front and when Pip's mum was led in, you know, they're usually the last to come into the wedding. Um, Sue, Pip's mum, said to Shirley, Shirley, I think you're in my seat. And Shirley looked at her and said, why don't you get your own seat? <laughs> so the pictures of the wedding, you've got Shirley and then you've got Sue right on the front row. And then in the vows, I got one of my best friends to do the vows. He was an American. Uh, he was totally not used to like our wording and things like that. So at one point, he was looking Pip in the eye and said, Philippa, I know not of any legal reason why I... Oh, Matt, you're meant to be saying that bit. <laughs> it was like nearly marrying himself off. And then Philippa is Philippa Ruth Emma Marriott, which was her maiden name. And that's quite a mouthful. And so at various points, I was calling you Ruth and Emma because I was just so nervous during the <laughs> vows. And then hilariously, this, this wonderful dress that she's wearing came with 20 free photos. That was sort of like the deal. And so we had this very amateur photographer come. And we said, look, you can take lots of photos, but we are not buying any more than 20. Like the 20 free ones is all that we need. And so we have got the worst wedding photos <laughs> in the world. He captured your family, but there are none of my family. <laughs> and then lastly, as we ended the night um, and we had great fun, as we got into our sort of car, the car had sort of been decorated. It was full of balloons. Uh, there was things trailing from it, you know, the just married. Everyone was in the car park ready to wave us off. And we drove back and uh, you, we can see on video that the car suddenly swerves to the left. And one of my groomsmen had hid in the car <laughs> under all the balloons. And so about 10 seconds after we set off, he suddenly burst out from <laughs> under the balloons. And it gave me the shock of my life and I nearly crashed the car. 
uh, it was an amazing day. And looking back 25 years, we really had no idea or very little idea about the purpose of marriage. And I think over the years we somewhat stumbled over it. But it has proved sort of a very large part in how we've invested together. So that's what, in the time that we've got, I want to talk about, and then Pip's going to share very practically what that looks like for us, the purpose of marriage. And I hope it's going to be helpful if you're not married, in your support of those that are married, and for those that are married in the room. We are not marriage counsellors. We do not have the perfect marriage by a long way. So just to give you some context, I'm the guy who secretly planned to watch the football on honeymoon. So we had to drive to the Lake District, and I knew there was an England-European Championship game. And so without telling Pip, I sort of dressed it up as, oh, it'd be a really good idea to go to the pub, we can get some lunch, we can eat together. And then I acted surprised when it's like, oh, there's a big screen here and the football's on. Six days into marriage, that's the sort of behavior you're getting from me. So clearly there are other people in the room that are doing marriage better than us. Some of the things we're going to bring up, you will be excelling in those areas. But we do really want to, I guess, as sort of spiritual mums and dad in the room, we really want to see you guys build like a really good marriage and you get the purpose of marriage right. And as we do so, I just want to acknowledge the pain in the room uh, for singles, for divorced people, for those of you in difficult marriages. Uh, I'm a child of divorced parents, so growing up in the 70s, I was the only kid in the class who had divorced parents and nowadays it's really common. And so there is a lot of pain out there and I just want to say there's no stigma or judgment here. We're all here by the grace of God. And so, you know, it's a level playing field. But because there's so much brokenness surrounding marriage, it's really easy for us to shy away from declaring how glorious it actually is. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says this, marriage should be honored by all. Marriage actually is a really good thing. Your spouse is the most important human relationship you have in life. And so I'm going to speak first and hand over to Pip. If there's anything good that I say today, I've stolen it from this book. So uh, Tim and Kathy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, it's the sort of book you read it if you're just about to get married and you think, well, that's all right. And then 10 years into marriage, you read it and you're like, oh, my days, this is so helpful. So if you've not read that yet, really worth giving it some time. So I've just got time for two things, really simple the purpose or the meaning of marriage. Number one, it's to be best friends. The Bible's first answer to the question, what is marriage for, is that it exists for friendship. Now, I know that isn't earth-shattering news, but we live in a culture that values attraction before and above connection. So our swiping right-based culture, which is all about looks and then friendships, means that we can almost lay a wrong foundation from the start. Uh, often you will emphasize compatibility with your spouse, sexual compatibility, social compatibility, and it's important stuff. But if it's just that, then you're in trouble. 
And I say probably the biggest way declaring that marriage is about friendship goes in the opposite direction to our culture is that our culture, our individualistic Western culture, sets our lives up to be about self-fulfillment and happiness. And so we're asking the question, who will make me happy? Who will satisfy me? Who will make me more comfortable? Who can meet my needs and help me progress in life? And really at the heart of that is self-worship. It's like putting yourself first. Who can come alongside and help me in my life? which is the opposite of biblical marriage, which is, is this a person that I can serve and make happy? But culturally, we're out for ourselves. So it's really important that we just understand that you have to fight for the friendship bit. So why friendship? Well, our answer starts in Genesis, where God says of Adam in Genesis 2, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper. Everyone say helper. Helper suitable for him. So God creates this ezer. That's what that word helper is in Hebrew. It means a significant helper companion in the form of Eve. And when Adam sees Eve, he exclaims in Genesis 2.23, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which is a poetic way of saying, meeting you fills a void in me. Meeting you meets a void in me. So this partner would not just be a lover, but also an ultimate friend. Proverbs 2, verse 17, calls one's spouse an alup in the Hebrew, which means special confidant or best friend. And so in those days, when the Old Testament was written, wives could be seen as a husband's property or even used as part of business deals. And so for the Bible to emphasize that closeness in marriage was a really surprising and radical thing in describing your spouse. Friendship means you share your life together, you have shared interests, common goals, delighting in being with each other. Uh, so Pip and I did our first holiday in 20 years without children last year. And we've got grandparents that live a long way away, uh, we've got three kids, which were always too much for grandparents to handle, so we never got away. Last year we went away, and to our surprise, we enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, by the end of the holiday, we were like, I think we actually enjoy each other's company, because it's like every evening you've got a dinner, there's nothing else to talk about. Did you like the sand? Did you like the sea? You know, you run out of things <laughs> to talk about on holiday, but it was a great sign that we've invested well. And your marriage will slowly die if your priority isn't each other. Your goal must to become best friends. And this is so important in a church that's full of young families. It's, your marriage is so much more than your kids. Like if you make kids your sole focus, if they get the best of your time, if they get all your energy right now, then you are undermining your first priority, which is to be best friends with your spouse. A good way to think about it is the best way that you can love and serve your kids is by loving and serving your spouse. That just creates this solid foundation for your family to be raised in. So, being very honest, we struggled in the first number of years and still do from time to time with friendship. So Pip, uh, she grew up with just her mum 
And her mum, if you've met her, is fiercely independent, having to have to be that way in bringing up her three kids, and Pip is that as well. And so for her to show any weakness or openness to me was felt beyond vulnerable, felt far too much, too much to risk. And for me, uh, all the rejection that I'd experienced in life meant that I was very insecure, I was frightened of getting hurt, and so it just meant that we really struggled in those first few years to fully commit to each other. And so any sort of openness or sharing life or talking about the deeper things, it just felt particularly loaded. And I'm sure you guys have your stuff that mean when you talk, it does feel very tricky. But if there's no friendship and if there's no best friendship and deep friendship, then what is it that will keep you together? Child rearing is temporary. Financial security is far from satisfying. Friendship cements or glues the relationship together for the long term. Number two, the second purpose of marriage is that you're to be best friends with a commitment to being a disciple of Jesus. That's the lens that you see this friendship through. So let me take you back uh, to when I was 25. I had known Pip for four years. Uh, we were, it was like there was literally nothing. You fancied me a little bit when we first met, and then she got to know me and was totally put off. Absolute poser. It was all about the surface, no integrity. She saw all of that and was like, I don't like this guy. But we were in the same church. We ended up hanging out together. We got invited. Like if someone got married, we'd always be sat at the same table. We were just good friends. And then suddenly, overnight, something really radically changed. And I was like drawn magnetically to this woman. And what attracted me to Pip was we had four years of friendship in the bank. And so we knew that we got on really well. Secondly, because of our problems with vulnerability and openness and commitment, we actually went out for three months and then we broke up. And um, we broke up because of both our issues. I think Pip would put her hand up and say, mostly you. There's so few things that I can say that in our whole marriage. <laughs> so I'd just like to dwell on that for a moment. And, but in order for her just to sort of lay our relationship down, while I was just like in a mess and sort of stewing about it, Pip went on a 21-day fast. And she burnt photos of me. She like was like, I, if Matt's not going to be my future spouse, then I need to just be done with this and she just wanted to throw herself on God and during that time she felt God speak some very sort of very important things to her that have lasted with her the rest of her life and I saw that and I found that very very attractive and then lastly as I said Pip was working in a night shelter for the homeless and I saw her living out her faith in a really practical way she was a spiritual mum especially to the men that often had huge sort of mental breakdown issues. And I saw her, uh, there used to be a spot in town where she would meet with the most violent of them to try and work out a way in which she could get them back in the house if they'd been barred. 
because of their behavior. And I could see her every Friday, I think, chatting to these guys. And I could just see something of Jesus in her. Little did I know, but they were really wise things to be drawn to. So according to Ephesians 5, this special friendship has a purpose. You could say the mission of marriage is Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The Apostle Paul points husbands to Jesus' sacrificial love for his bride, which is the church. And so the goal of Jesus' love is to sanctify the church. It's to make her holy without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish, by washing her with God's word and presenting her as radiantly pure and sanctified. So Christ's purpose for the church is to present her as perfect and holy. Husbands are to do the same for their wives. In other words, this special friendship has a purpose. It's about helping each other become a mature disciple. If you don't know what a disciple is, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, becomes like Jesus, and joins in the mission of Jesus. It's about growing in godliness and holiness together. It's about sanctification, which is a biblical word of becoming more like Jesus. It's about joining Jesus' mission to the world. It's being a disciple that makes disciples. And I know culturally that's a surprise, that that's the purpose of this special friendship. Because you're all probably thinking, well, I thought the point of marriage was to be happy. And most of our marriage preparation that we do in this church is actually about how to get along and how to have a strong relationship, and how to deal with communication issues, and how to deal with areas of conflict. And, you know, that saying, happy wife, happy life, there's something that's ingrained in our culture that we are getting married in order to be happy together. And so if spiritual friendship is the goal, it just sounds like hard work. Marriage is hard work. But it's wrong to pit effort and happiness against each other. So anyone that's good at anything works really hard at being good at it. Marriage is hard work, but there is nothing greater in marriage than having this as your shared goal together. This is what it means to truly fall in love. I want the greatest thing in life for them, which is the person of Jesus Christ. In getting married, you're saying, I commit to you to become a person who helps you cooperate with God's work of transformation into Christ-likeness. And it's like the way we need to see our married relationships. A bit like if you've ever bought a car or a second-hand car, when you're on the road, you suddenly see that car everywhere, that sort of make and model. You Suddenly your eyes are open to, oh, I didn't realize there were so many Kia Picantos on the road. And it's a bit like this. Spiritual friendship means ordinary marriage is seen through this filter of discipleship. 
So everything that goes on in a marriage is an opportunity to grow and change and become more Christ-like, to become a mature disciple. So positively, each spouse sees the weakness and immaturity and imperfection and weaknesses, but also the potential and the great things God is up to. So Pip knows me so well, and she sees all the rubbish stuff but she believes in who God is making me to be. When Michelangelo carved David out of the marble, we've got a very appropriate picture of him here. (laughs) He looked inside the marble and took away the parts that weren't David. That's how he sculptured this. And so when I look at Pip and when Pip looks at me, She sees the work of God in me and sees who I could be in Christ and then is working to help me access that. It really is a high calling in marriage. If discipleship is the center of your relationship, then everything that makes your marriage better and more satisfying falls into place. Because if you both commit to becoming more like Jesus, that means more mutual submission, more laying your life down. And that means there's more love and there's more joy and there's more peace in your life. The character of Jesus starts to emerge in your lives together. And that is what Jesus does for his church. So I feel like the room's gone very quiet. But I want you to see, like, almost, if you, if you want a happy marriage, if you want a satisfying marriage, if you want a comfortable marriage, then pursue Jesus like crazy together. Support each other in it, because you'll get what you really want if you do it that way. Dallas Willard says this, you don't achieve happiness in life by pursuing happiness. You achieve happiness in life by pursuing God. He's not a means to the end, he is the end. It's Ephesians 5 in practice. Ephesians 5 verse 21, a word to both men and women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Marriage should look like the leadership of Jesus. Who can serve and become the lowest? It involves submission and sacrifice, lifting their needs above your own. Both husband and wife imitate Christ by laying their lives down for each other. It's also true if you've married someone who isn't a Christian. You see, your marriage is this friendship, but also God's way of making you his disciple. You see, if that discipleship framework affects your marriage, even if your partner isn't a believer, then God wants to use your marriage to shape you into a more Christ-like person. Because that's the way he's created marriage. That's Christ's example to us as he blesses the church. I get an amen and amen. The mission of marriage is to become best friends with a commitment to become disciples of Jesus. Pip is going to tell you how to do this really practically. But let me just say something to you if you are dating. If this is true it means you prioritize friendship and spiritual hunger in prospective boyfriends and girlfriends. Not whether they're too fat or skinny or tall or short or any of those surface level things. Look for someone who understands yourself better 
sorry, it understands you better than yourself, who makes you a better person by being around them, who leads you to follow Jesus with greater clarity and effort and explore that friendship and see if it leads to romance. But as you think about who to date or who to ask out, have that in the background. Is this someone I could be best friends with and is this someone that leads me to Jesus? Very simple. Let's welcome Pip up. Can you hear me okay on this? Great. Right, so, um, yeah, Matt's given me the opportunity to talk about um, sort of the practical stuff and how we've put this into place. Um, obviously, we've been married, as I said, 25 years. Some of, the th some of these things we do better than others. Um, I'm aware that there's other people in this room who could probably, um, you know, be married twice as long as we have. Um, but uh, these are just sort of... Yeah, what we've learned. So I've, I've done it into, I've got eight points, just put them into three sections. Under um, developing friendship with your spouse, um, learning to communicate with your spouse, and developing an atmosphere of discipleship with your spouse. So, so the first point is that we've learned is um, develop shared interests uh, that you're both interested in, not just what one spouse is interested in that you go along with. So stuff that you're both really interested in. So for us, this would be things like, um, uh, we love renovation projects, we love, um, <laughs> uh, we love DIY, uh, we love creative stuff like that. We also love going on walks with the dog. Um, I think some of our best dates have been going on bike rides together. So it's finding those um, shared interests that you both really enjoy um, doing. And uh, some, if, you, if, you're, if you haven't got kids, um, then really invest in this time of doing stuff together before kids come along. Because once kids come along, your interests revolve around children. And so the more stuff you can do together before you have children means that you are drawing on those deep wells um, that you've invested in before children come along. Um, secondly, um, while it's important that we have developed interest together, it's also about not being insular and looking at developing deep friendships um, outside of your marriage as well. Um, choosing, I've, choosing one or two people who um, you can talk really honestly with about your marriage. So uh, I've got two really close friends, both used to be in Mosaic, but they both now moved to different uh, parts of the country. And uh, these two women know me sort of better than anyone else. Um, during lockdown, we would Zoom every Sunday night. Um, now we Zoom probably every two or three weeks, but they're my people who know that they can, um, they can challenge me on everything and I can say anything to them and they will not be shocked, but they will just love me and walk alongside me. Um, it's also about, um, well, it's about you know, us developing interests together. Um, in terms of developing interests outside of that, it's, um, you, know, you don't have to do everything together. It's developing these interests with, uh, with people outside of, your, outside of your marriage. So I know that Matt, you know, he loves watching football on TV. I absolutely hate watching football on TV. I think it's a total waste of time. And um, there are times when I sit down and I watch with him and I could just be thinking of all the other things that I could be doing. So... Um, which is why on our honeymoon, obviously that wasn't a big tick for him when <laughs> he was like, let's go for a nice meal. Oh, look, the football's on. So, um, um, so yeah, so um, 
yeah, so, so developing, developing interests outside of your marriage as well with, with other people. Um, moving on to communication. So how do we, um, how have we worked on our communication? So we've really had to work on our communication over the last 25 years. We communicate quite differently. Um, and uh, it, um, it's been... It's just, yeah, it's just, as I say, it's just, um, we've, had to, we've had to work on that. Um, so the things we, we have worked on is developing regular check-ins um, away from distractions. So our preference is to do this out of the house. So, um, although not so much now that we're almost empty nesters, but we found that we've had to, when we've wanted to, to chat, uh, getting out of the house away from all the, the stuff that can take your attention at home. Um, and this has changed depending on what our budget allows. So sometimes it will be going out for meals, um, or sometimes just going for coffee, or sometimes it's just going for a walk around the block. But taking um, time in the week where you're just uh, uh, focusing on each other to talk about the, the distractions. And so on those weekly check-ins, we'll talk about how we're doing. Um, do we feel loved by each other? Um, are we communicating that love to each other? Uh, we often talk about the kids. Um, what's happening with them? What needs do they particularly have? Um, and that's, uh, you know, we'll, that's where we'll often end up praying for the kids in those times. Um, we talk about the stuff, the main stuff that's going on in our lives. Um, what's going on at work, um, anything, if there's a, any um, particular challenges at work that we can both support each other in. Um, and we also talk about what God is um, saying to us in that season, uh, what's he, what's, um, you know, what, what, he, what is he doing, doing in our lives at the moment. Um, and just letting your spouse in on the details, you know, the mundane and the major details of your life has been really helpful. Um, so we have those weekly check-ins, but we also have yearly check-ins as well. So every year on our, generally around our anniversary, we try and go away for a, for a night. And, um, and on, in that time when we go away, that's when we talk, do our yearly check-in and we sort of look at where have we been in the last year, what's been going on, and looking at the year ahead as well. Um, in that time, we sort of go through the major things in our lives that's been going on. So that's we, we've got a, a, a document on one of our computers where, um, where we've talked, where we, we, it's, we've written down all the major things that have happened in our life. So, you know, I can look back on this and think, oh, where did we spend Christmas in 1998? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, because you just forget these things and it's really good to look over um, and uh, the major things that happened. Um, and um, so we always add to that, that document um, when we do our sort of a yearly check-in. Um, in that yearly check-in, we look at the major challenges that have gone on, what we've learnt, um, what we would do differently. Um, so things like, so this year, you know, I've been um, in, in my role changing at work it means I've done some working from home and so we've kind of done so we've kind of looked at that um you know does it work you know with you know, looking back on the years so how, how, how has it worked for me working from home have I got good boundaries in place um with work and home and <laughs> no I'm not saying um so um but it's really good to, to, to take us take a step back and sort of look at what we're doing um and um and sort of looking ahead and what's our vision for the year ahead and what do we need to put in place in order to ensure that we can fulfill that vision. So, so with Matt doing, you know, having, obviously in lockdown, all uh, his travelling um, stopped, but then uh, as uh, we've come out of lockdown, his travelling has picked up. So we need to look at the year ahead and think, okay, what do I need to do in my work to change things so that it enables Matt to um, more freedom to be able to work? 
Um, we've learned to uh, listen to each other, to ask really good questions in these check-in times. Um, uh, when, um, when, we, when we talk and we listen, Matt and I sort of repeat back what the other person has said so that they know that they feel heard. Um, we try not to advise each other unless it's actually asked because um, uh, often I think sometimes in these times actually we, we know what we need to do but we just need a sounding board and sometimes advice isn't what I'm looking for. Um, okay. Um, next point was uh, also recognizing our limitations as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Brené Brown. So Brené Brown is a um, she's an American professor and she's an author and she's known for her work on shame and vulnerability and leadership. And I was watching a recent um, podcast or interview that she was in, and she talked about the lie that marriage should be 50-50. And she's saying it's rarely 50-50. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this clip, but it's really good. And she's saying that she, um, that uh, with her in her in her marriage, they quantify um, sort of where they're at at that moment. So she said she talks about perhaps um, her husband comes home and he says to her, "Okay, I've I've got 20 um, in the bank. I've got 20% to give in terms of energy, investment, kindness, um, uh, patience." And so her response is, okay, that's good, I'll cover you, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll pull the 80 if you've only got 20. Um, and sometimes she says they'll both come home and um, she'll say, okay, I've only got 10. And he'll say, okay, I've got a solid 25 here. Um, and so at this point, they know that any point where they come together and the, and the total isn't 100, they need to sit down at the table and um, come, out, come up with a plan of action, a plan of kindness um, with each other. Um, and... Um, and so uh, I found this really helpful that marriage isn't a 20, uh, marriage isn't a 50-50 partnership. A marriage works when you can carry, you can carry when they've only got 20, or Matt can carry when I've only got 20. Um, and when you've both only got, uh, you know, 20 together, we need to come out with, up with a plan not to hurt each other. Um, Moving on, next point is um, we, we're, Matt and I are always seeking to understand each other better. Um, I think at work I'm sort of known a bit as that sort of the relationship guru because um, I'm always looking at ways to, uh, how do I understand myself, how do I understand each other diff uh, better. And there's stuff I think in the church that we take for granted in terms of um, uh, you know, talking about our marriage, but when I'm in the work context, I'm really surprised that this people just is, this is almost like a foreign language to people. Um, so we've always looked at ways that we can, um, yeah, get to know each other better. So we've looked at the love languages for those who know about love languages. Matt and I've got really different love languages, so this is something we've had to really work on. So um, my love language is, is quality time um, and acts of service. Matt's love language is words of affirmation and physical touch. So often we will miss each other, or we used to, we used to miss each other in terms of we would sort of come together in our weekly, when we would, we would in sort of our weekly catch-ups, you know, do we feel loved by each other? No. Like, but I've really poured myself out, I've really worked hard, and we've just missed each other. And it's often because we've just been loving the person in the, our, in the way that our own love, you know, we, we, the way that we um, receive and give love, and so we've just had to work hard at that. 
Something that we found um, really, we also looked at Myers-Briggs, that's been really helpful. The Enneagram, Strength Finders, any of these are really good tools for helping you understand yourself and your, and your, and your spouse. So, um, the, uh, I say recently, the Enneagram in the last few years, that's been really helpful for us. So, the, if you've not heard of the Enneagram, it's a, it's a personality test that aims to help um, us understand our motivations, our strengths, and our weaknesses, and what our um, what our fears are, and it comes out as nine different types. Now, I'm an Enneagram One, um, so I'm a what's called the reformer, so I'm rational, I'm idealistic, I'm principled, I'm purposeful, I'm self-controlled, but I'm also a perfectionist. Matt is an Enneagram Three, so he's he thinks it's the best one, but um, <laughs> um, so um, so Matt is success-orientated, he's pragmatic type, he's adaptive, um, he's excelling, um, he's excelling, uh, he's driven, and he's image conscious. So understanding our different enneagrams has been really helpful. Okay, so so an example of this would, um, Matt's, a, Matt's a really good communicator, um, and then on you know on a Sunday afternoon. He would say to me, oh, how did, what do you think of my preach? And I would say, well, yeah, it was good, but this point that you made, that didn't actually happen. Or he'll, he'll tell a story, and he will exaggerate it, or he will... Um, <laughs> or the details are not quite right. And so I say, well, yeah, it was good, but this bit, you know, that's not how it happened. Or you said it happened on a Saturday, and actually it happened on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt's saying, that doesn't matter. And I say, yes, it does. The details matter because if I can't trust you on this particular thing, then how can I trust you on everything else that you've said in your preach? And Matt's like, what are you going on about? Um, but it was really helpful doing the Enneagram because actually it helped me see, for, for Matt, he's the big picture. He wants to tell a story. He wants to take you all on a journey to get to this point. Um, and there are times where... Matt's got a really terrible memory. So there are details where he'll tell a story and he won't get all the details right. I've actually got quite a good memory, so I will remember all those details. And, um, and so for me, it was really helpful because actually it was helpful for me to see that actually Matt's purpose is just to get you all so you can you know, get to the end point. For me, it's all about integrity and um, the detail being right. And um, so it's not that he's a liar and I'm... <laughs> but it's... Um, but it's... Um, but it's just that we've got different motivations. And, from, and so that's been really helpful for me at work when, um, for, for me, integrity is really important. And when I'm doing my work and I'm in a place where, um, like, my integrity is being questioned, um, it's, it's, a real, it's, it's, it's a real, like, kick in the teeth for me. Because I'm like, no, this is, this is something that's really important for me. And um, so, yeah, so the Enneagram has been, has been really helpful. So I would encourage you to look at, look at that. It's also been really helpful for us to, us to understand our children and for our children to understand each other. All three of our children are, are on their different Enneagrams. Izzy is like Matt, which might not surprise you. Um, and um, uh, Tom, I'll tell you about Tom. Most of you know Tom. Tom is the peacemaker, so he's easygoing. He's self-effacing. He's, he's um, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, but also complacent. And so it's been really helpful for us to understand um, understand our children and understand where we, um, you know, you know, uh, just how they are really. Um, just get my time. Okay. Next thing is um, I'm running out of time here. I've got one minute left. Um, okay. Decision making. 
this is, in terms of making decisions, when you're making decisions, ask yourself, how important is this to me? Is this a nine out of 10 or is this a three out of 10? And I think in our lives, we're really busy. And, um, and so when we're making decisions on stuff, I think we just have to give each other a bit of slack and think, how important is this? So an example of this would be like, if I get an invitation to a wedding to one of my colleagues, we're both invited. I would really like Matt to come along with me so that um, you know, he can meet my work colleagues. Matt is absolutely flat out. So he just doesn't have the capacity, he doesn't really want to go to a wedding where he doesn't know anyone except me. So um, at that point, he says, I don't want to go. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's a three out of 10. I, it, whether he comes along, it's a three out of 10. Um, you don't have to come along, I'll go along by myself. However, for my mum's 80th birthday coming up, that for me is going to be a nine out of 10. So he, um, when he's saying, actually, I'm really busy, I don't want to come. I was like, no, actually, this is non-negotiable. This is a nine out of 10 for me. So, um, so this is something that I'm really going to stand my ground on. Um, quickly moving on to developing an atmosphere of discipleship. Um, Matt and I always ask ourselves, what do we need from each other to be more, help each other be more Christ-like? So when we, when we were had, um, in the season of having small children, we didn't get any solitude time. We didn't get any, you know, it was, life was pretty full on. For us, we were in a season of... Um, survival and so we would go on retreats and so we would release each other to go on retreats. So every six weeks we would go I would go away for thirty six hours, then he would go away for thirty six hours. Um and we found that those times were really, really helpful. Um sometimes your spouse just needs solitude, sometimes they just need rest, sometimes they need sleep, sometimes they need encouragement. So ask each other what do they what does your spouse need at this moment to be more Christ like? Um, and lastly, when we disagree, um, often it's, uh, God is trying to speak to us. It's often an opportunity for growth. Um, and I think this is really helpful. When stuff goes wrong and you find yourselves in conflict, um, it's often an opportunity to step back and reflect and think, okay, where am I being selfish here? What is God saying to me? What is, where is the area uh, for growth? Um, when we have conflict, we always say, um, we always avoid always, never say never. Um, and um, I could go more into that actually, but I won't because I'm running out of time. Um, but yeah, if, if, you're, if you're in disagreement, ask yourself, what is God doing here? And... Um, uh, and always coming back to that first point that Matt made about in, in your uh, relationship, your goal is to be best friends and to have a commitment to um, growing more into disciples. Is that what you said? Show <laughs> 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 so much I listen to you. <laughs> there you go. I hope that was helpful. Can we say thanks to Pitt? That was really helpful. God, that was quite vulnerable here. Um, I don't think I came out of that too well, but that's uh, the vulnerability of marriage right there. So I, just, I guess I wanted to finish by saying this. If you are struggling, like for some of you, there will no doubt be some of you as you listen to this stuff and think this is not how we're building or this is how we want it to be, but it's not. Then I just think sometimes we look after our cars better than our marriages. Like we take our cars in for MOTs, we get them serviced, we deal with stuff when it gets broken. But marriage, we just can never get round to talking to someone, to spending time doing the MOT. How are we really doing? And so do not wait till you're in a ditch. Like for any of you, if you heard this stuff and that, we really just need another couple. 
We've got pastoral team. We've got uh, a pastoral staff. We've got amazing mission group leaders. We've consigned post you for counseling, for help. So we just wanted to make clear, like, if you, you just need some help at this point, please do not remain silent. Find someone you trust and start to open up with them. So I'd love to pray for us as we finish. Thank you for listening. Sorry, that was a little bit longer than normal, but hopefully that was helpful. We're going to worship together. Do you want to stand to your feet? I'll just quickly pray. Perhaps you just want to be in this sort of posture of receiving openness to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for our marriages. Thank you so much, those represented in the room and those in our wider church family. We pray, God, that we would build really deep friendships in our marriages that are focused on becoming disciples of Jesus. Pray, God, that you be with anyone here today that just knows that they do need some help. We pray, Lord, for courage to be open and vulnerable. And thank you, ultimately, Lord, uh, the strength for doing all this stuff comes from you. And so fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us courage and endurance and strength to do all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.